this is Studio Secrets A to Z. I'm a musician, a composer, and a multi-platinum awarded record producer with over 100,000 hours of studio experience around the globe, and I'm here to share with you tips and stories and all kinds of fun stuff. Today's topic is going to be Electric Barbarella by Duran Duran from the album Medazzaland. I got the job doing Medazzaland after having a really great experience working on Thank You with the band, and we wanted to kind of continue what we had started, and which was pretty innovative and experimental, really, from you know, a standpoint of, you know, comparing to what they had done previously, which was really exciting for me to be involved in that from the ground floor. We primarily made the record in um, Metropolis, uh, London, Studio B, although we did quite a bit of tracking in uh, Boston at Sound Techniques. And, you know, I did quite a bit of stuff even remotely in my studio in Chelmsford, which was really cool. I used to play bongos in my underwear a lot. Uh, It was a, a good year and a half period on and off that we worked on it. They had already done a bunch of work on it prior to that and then we came in and kind of reworked everything there was a lot of technical problems and stuff the format uh, of the album was started off as two um two inch analog tape um there were you know two reels for every song and then as we got more and more into layers and multi-tracking we had to move everything over to a digital uh, machine uh sony 3348 uh digital machine but um you know we worked on things at warren's studio on Tascam D88s and we worked at stuff in, at my studio on ADATs and you know so everything was f- fly, you know flying stuff around sharing files Tinley was uh, who's worked really hard with Nick as a, a you know a tech and he was very instrumental in a lot of the keyboards and programming and all that stuff he would uh, handle a lot of the technical issues from their end and he was fantastic and he was a big part of the team Bob St. John and I worked together uh, Bob was you know, is a brilliant you know, Grammy Award winning mix engineer. And, you know, he's really the the technical guru behind things. I'm more the musical side, kind of stretching the boundaries of uh, what people expect. Um, it's always been my sort of modus operandi is to kind of create, you know, soundscapes that are not super familiar. You know, sometimes you hear something organic and mixed with something that sounds like it's from another planet. I, I kind of like mixing the, the organic world with the far out world. At this particular time, Duran's lineup consisted of Warren Cucurullo on guitar and Nick Rhodes on keyboards and um, Simon LeBon, lead vocals. Uh, Andy Taylor was not around for this record, and I think there was some tumultuous kind of back and forth between John um, and stuff during this record, which is, you know, that's a long topic, but um, he's on a good amount of the album and he's not on some tracks. Um, the track we're going to focus on today is going to be Electric Barbarella, and he was on Electric Barbarella. We uh, jumped right in. Um, the band had recorded a bunch of tracks at a, another studio, which I, I might have been in France. I don't remember. I probably have to do a little bit of research, but they weren't really happy with um, the basic tracks, and there were some problems with uh, badly encoded Dolby SR, which can be a real problem. And the the drums particularly were very uh, kind of... I don't know. There's just a lot of noise and stuff. So there were some, you know, some real issues to deal with. So um, they really wanted the song to take on a more of a sort of a high tech kind of uh, feel, uh, and but yet reminiscent of some of their earlier tracks. And so basically, we were trying to pull it all together and uh, give it a you know a, a fresh fresh outlook. And uh, it was it was an involved process. Um, I remember they were going to shoot a video for the song Out of My Mind, which was on the uh, Saint soundtrack. And when they were out of town, I was in London and I was given the uh, 
the tracks to kind of get get started and figure out some stuff and we ran into a lot of sync problems um so like things would drift and the it just was really hard to pull it together and i spent like i think it was like 10 days or something like just finding offsets back then we didn't have visual cues like you couldn't look at a screen and see why something was off you know so we had to do things like delay time code and use you know different various offsets and things to make things groove and line up so it was really time consuming and um yeah, it, compared to today, it was so much harder. But um, we finally got it all sorted out and uh, got everything in the studio, and I started adding my tracks. I you know, added some analog beatboxes and some of my signature weird sounds and stuff, and uh, Tinley had all, all Nick's stuff and Warren you know, doing his layers of incredible guitar, and uh, I think John had laid his bass down prior to uh, when I got there. I think we actually used the original bass. We might have added some synth bass as well. I can't quite remember, but um, yeah, we you know we pull it all together, and uh, it was a great track. And sort of towards the end, we're like, hmm, maybe we should put some live drums on this. And um, you know, several tracks on the the record, I added live drums. And I I grew up as a drummer as a kid. It was like my first instrument before I branched into like flute and piano and guitar and stuff. Um, I you know drums were my thing, and I've I've always kind of banged on a lot of the instruments I play. Um, and so, yeah, it was fun. They let me kind of do my thing. I kept a four on the floor, kind of uh, Blondie-esque, you know, heart of glass feel. Um, and it was, it was really cool. I had a lot of fun. And it was interesting back then when you played various takes, you know, you could punch in and stuff, but you couldn't really micro-edit like you do today. You know, there's, you know, a lot more room for humanity we'll say but um i'm pretty proud of the track when i listen to it it's pretty cool pretty well integrated uh into the electronics and stuff and it's it's there's a lot of tracks there and uh yeah it's really super cool i, I really enjoyed working on it um i'd love to you know revisit it why don't we play it and you know talk about some specific things Thank you. 
I remember a lot of the things that went into the different various um, tracks. I think maybe we'll start by talking about Warren's guitars. Um, Warren has always been a real innovative guitar player with gets very futuristic, cool sounds. And at that time, he was using like a Lexicon Jam Man. So I think he had several in a rack and he would like play in parts and then loop them live and like flip them around backwards and chain, you know, put one up an octave and one down an octave. I mean, some really crazy stuff. And how he would do it, he would spend a lot of time on that on his own at um, Privacy Studios in Battersea. And um, he would come to the studio with like dats and he would have like times labeled on the dats. And I would sample the parts that he wanted me to sample and uh, in, in, into uh, an Akai sampler. I was using S, S5000s, S3000s, uh, S1000s. And literally, we would map all these samples out in, uh, in for the various sections of the song. And either he or I, sometimes we would take, take turns playing them in and, you know, editing them uh, in Opcode Vision, which was my sequencer at the time. We were using a Studio 5 uh, interface, uh, or MIDI interface, which would, you know, clock to Simpty. So this is... A very different time, very different way of working. But um, after we cut up all those samples and got them all re-triggering, we would uh, record that like back to the tape, and then we'd have the arrangement. And what was great about that is you could offset with uh, MIDI or SMPTE. You could make things lazier or push more or whatever. So we would spend time getting the feel uh, to, to just really be right. And so that would be kind of the process with Warren. And Nick and Tinley would work on some of the sequences um, I forget what sequencer they, what sequencer they were using, but they would get everything into uh, Task MD88s, and we'd transfer those from Privacy and Battersea over to Metropolis, and we'd get everything moved over. And Nick was using um, a Jupiter 8 a lot. Um, I know he used the arpeggiator in that. Also, he has a really rare, super cool Roland uh, modular. I forget the number on it. But anyway, he called that Frank. So that was Frank. Frank was super crazy cool. I mean, it's one of the bigger uh, rolling modulars that you're going to find anywhere. I, I wish I, I'll think of the name. But um, anyway, so that was those parts would come, and we would get those in onto tape and use the same kind of techniques to get them to groove right, like you know, using delaying time code or delaying, you know, using a delay to get it to sit in a certain certain pocket. The drums that I had done were analog like beatbox type sounds like old Roland sounds I think I mean I even had a, a CR78 uh, a real a real one um, you know we all all kinds of stuff you know we're just putting together little pieces you know and looping them and cutting them up and you know just trying to stuff we did a lot of experimenting you know not everything makes it um, to the track and when we were said and done we realized that we wanted live drums and that was done at the very end um, but that's that's kind of you know a little synopsis of uh, what I remember. There's you know I'm sure you know Bob could have a lot of great stuff about outboard gear because we used a lot of prime time delays and a Fairchild uh, 670 on the mix, and Bob was uh, using a lot of really cool gear uh, on the you know the stereo bus and all that. It was an SSL console at uh, Studio B in Metropolis downstairs. Fantastic studio. We just loved it there. It was really great. As far as a vocal sound, um, you know, at that time we were kind of experimenting with, uh, we loved the Lexicon Vortexes. They were, a lot of people didn't like them, but we had a pair of those. And they had a lot of interesting, uh, really cool, like, transitional effects for things. And Bob was, you know, really kind of more behind the vocal sound. So and I'm sure he'll have some other memories. We're going to get him to 
chime in. But um, also the prime time delays were a big thing that we and the PCM 42s. Um, you know, Bob was into tube gear at the time. We I think we had a Fairchild 670 on the um, stereo bus, which is if anybody knows, that's like a you know forty thousand dollar vintage compressor, which is fun. And I remember Bob had special uh, mitts. They were like oven mitts because the thing would start making funny sounds and he would put on the oven mitts and then get in there. There's like 28 tubes or something in the thing. And then, you know, he'd get in there and jiggle the tubes and then the sound would be, okay, there it is. It's back. <laughs> so we did stuff like that as well. Um, these are priceless memories. So I've got a little clip here. It's a never before heard first time uh, listen to... Um, I used to get these dats from Tinley uh, and Nick, just little pieces that they would say, hey, go through this and see if you hear anything cool. And this was uh, Nick's System 100 uh, Roland Modular, which is a really special system that he's got, and he named him Frank. And I'm going to play a little clip from Frank for you. So it's with great pleasure I introduce to you to Bob St. John, who worked with me side by side on all this Duran stuff. Um, he's a multi-Grammy awarded mix engineer and longtime special buddy. Here he is. Anthony had been playing drums with Missing Persons and Dale Bozio, who of course was friends with a former bandmate, Warren Cucurillo, sent uh, along some music that Anthony had been working on. This stuff, like most of the stuff Anthony does, was like uh, out of this galaxy. Warren heard it and said, hey, do you mix songs? And he said, yes. And he came to me with uh, this proposal to work with Duran Duran. We'd have to do a song for spec or free, as we call it in this business. And uh, we set up the time to do it. The first song we did for them was 911 is a joke. Um, it was no small feat, to be honest. But we definitely hit it out of the park with them. And from there, we went to London and worked on the Thank You album. First song we mixed on that record was White Lines. And you have to understand that with Duran Duran, they come to you with a basic form. And I'd swear they were just exasperated with what they had done at this point. And it was basically, you know, take this and make something else out of it. So that's always where we came from. When we were working on Medazzaland, they had given us two songs while we were still in Boston to mix, and um, wow. I remember sitting there listening to them because they weren't exactly the best songs, and you know, the producer's approach at this point, Warren, and what he thought the song should be were um, totally opposite of the tracks they handed us. I remember sitting in the studio and saying to Anthony, um, what do you, how do you feel working on the last Duran Duran album ever? And the songs, I believe, were PLU and Ball and Chain. I don't think either of those were released. But we worked on them. And then from there, they wanted us to go to London, like we had done with Thank You, and uh, work there. The object being, well, of course, it's near the band, near the studio. Warren lived just down the street from Metropolis, which was in Chiswick. Um, so we went to London, and the first song we mixed was Electric Barbarella. What people don't realize is consumers of the music that we work on, and as I once mentioned to a long estranged accomplice of mine, that for creatives such as us, the music that we are a part of isn't merely music, but it's a sweet souvenir from that time in our lives. 
You know, we worked on Medazolin for well over two months, which is an exceptional amount of time to spend mixing, and I say that in quotations, a CD for somebody. And we've always been really proud of it. To understand what it's like working in the studio, I would be set up towards the console trying to assimilate something out of 48 channels of I don't know what, and Anthony would sit in the back of the room at this point with his old Mac Classic, I think he was running Vision on it, and an Akai S3000 keyboard. It was an all-in-one sampler and keyboard. We used to refer to it as the surfboard in a most affectionate way. So he would sit back there, um, listening to the music, stuff locked up together, um, for hours while I spent hours trying to figure out what this was going to sound like. And after a little while, he would send me some signal from over there, and it would start with some loops and sounds. Um, I don't think either of us have copies of what the original version of it sounded like as they handed it to us, but I can assure you it wasn't like that. For sure, I know the intro didn't exist, and that whole breakdown section in the middle, um, that was entirely Anthony's invention. So what we would do is we would start adding parts to it and then subtracting other parts from it. Um, Barbarella was unique in that, you know, um, Warren had recorded this with Nick at his studio, and they didn't seem to have any respect for how anything synced up with anything else. It was really, um, you know, very um, original and very avant-garde. I know that uh, they didn't lock anything up when they were recording it, so things seemed to never stay quite aligned. And we were always working against stuff like that. Now, the crazy thing is, we went all the way to London to be near them, and we'd get a mix about ready. And... Uh, Instead of before we would send it out because you know back then this was way before the internet was used to send files um, affordably from one place to the other. Usually you'd send out a DAT or a CD to somebody so they could listen to it. Uh, Anthony had left the room to go outside. He comes back and he sees me holding the phone up, and this had become a um, basic practice when we were in Boston. Warren would say, "Well, let me hear it. You know, hold the phone up to the speakers." which is, of course, kind of crazy. And we thought that when we were in London, we had gotten rid of that entire concept. So when Anthony walked back in the room and he saw me holding the phone, he gave me this quizzical look, and I'm trying to hold the phone steady, and I'm saying, Warren's listening to it. And he's like, he's just shaking his head, staring at me. And you know, I'd come back afterwards, and Warren would say, yeah, can you play it again and hold the phone still this time? <laughs> and this was a common thing with these guys. He, Warren had this superstition, like he didn't want to come to the studio when we were still actively working because he didn't want to interfere in the process that maybe something would go wrong. I think they had some PTSD from how difficult it was getting the mixes of Thank You together because, you know, we were one of a group of mixes, um, you know, who, who worked on it. We were the only ones who actually pulled the thing together to have made that what it is. And Medazolan, you know, would be no exception except we were the only people who were going to work on it. I think they might have learned their lesson from that before. So in keeping with uh, a lot of the stuff that we did with Duran, there, there's always something that appeared to be an impossible task. Um, nowadays, we could use computers and Pro Tools and ways that we could shift audio around. Back then, it was just 48-track digital. You had one part of the machine where you could sample stuff and move it around. And we would do that. A lot of the vocals we had laid in place so it would feel right in the new groove by sampling in lyrics one at a time. And it was obviously painstaking. I think... Hmm, 
that Barbarella probably took about two to three days to mix. I would I would put the word mix in quotations because we had to reinvent the song from there. A major bone of contention in the song was the looped guitar. That's sort of a pulsating guitar that plays through the song. As they handed it to us, it didn't seem to line up with anything. And it took hours to get it just where it felt right in the song. There was a magical number for it. I don't remember it at this point, and it only worked in that track. Funny story about that is there was a major remixer who had done a dance mix of the song, had uh, called up uh, Duran's manager asking if they could get a hold of us and find out what that magical number was. Of course, we didn't know the magical number. The magical numbers were supposed to be in the recall sheet, and honestly, somebody was getting ten times what we were paid to do less work with the tracks we already did. I don't think we were telling them anyhow. But <laughs> it's it's one of those things with these guys. You always had to basically be ready to run with it in any way. Now, here's an interesting little thing. If you listen to the end of the bridge right before the last chorus, right when that whole interesting vibey noise section goes by, you hear a drum fill. That drum fill is actually Clem Burke from Blondie. You see, we had worked with uh, Warren and Nick on a song that she was doing for one of her albums. I think the song was Studio 54, and Anthony had sampled a bunch of stuff when we were putting together tracks for that. And I remember him sitting back on the surfboard, um, and I remember him sitting back on the surfboard putting that together and just throwing it into the mix. So this will be the wrap-up of Episode 1 of Studio Secrets A to Z. Thanks for tuning in, and... Check in next time. We're going to do um, Midnight Sun by Duran Duran. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.